Uh, let's see, I understand the young people are uh, going uh, caroling tonight at 5.30. So if you uh, are so inclined, you might contact Wendy or Megan and let them know. They're going to also have some chili here. So if you'd like to come in and have some chili and go caroling. Are you getting me out of the out of the barrel back there? All right, appreciate it. So if you'd like to come in about 5.30 and go caroling and have some chili, like you say, let Wendy or Megan know, so they'll be sure and have plenty, plenty here for you. We're, uh, this week's uh, message with the sheep, you mentioned in there how they're, we're like the sheep and always messing things up. Next week we're talking about fact that Jesus was born in a stable where it's very messy. The whole point is, is that this world we live in, these lives sometimes can become very messy. And question today is, how did we get in this mess or how do we get out of this mess? I was visiting with my son, Ross, and he was down for a few days this week and his family, we actually had our, our Christmas family Christmas was yesterday. He's a judge up in Coeur d'Alene, and uh, as we were visiting about just the state of affairs, he said, you know, we, in essence, he said, we are our own worst enemies. We make choices that, uh, that uh, just mess up our lives. He, he says, uh, a lot of times because of the choices we make, our, our minds are clouded, I think was the word he used. He gets to see some of humanity's worst, probably especially family situations, custody situations. Many of them are a mess by the time they get to him. I read an article this week about the Navy SEAL, Chris Beck. He was either the first or one of the early ones uh, to come out in the military as transgender. He went on to become Kristen Beck and now 10 years later is begging America to wake up. He said it is the worst thing he ever did, changing gender. He said he is not a victim. He did it to himself, but he had a lot of help. He said you can go into one of those gender clinics, say you have feelings of being a tomboy or, or just uncomfortable with... Uh, with who you are and walk out on hormone suppressing drugs on your way to surgery and a gender identity change. He said it's a racket, a lot of people are making a lot of money off of it. And he said it's ruining, making a mess out of people's lives. And people everywhere are coming out in support of it. Someone commenting on that article wrote, adults should be able to mess up their lives in any way they see fit. That said, if a child is suffering with conflicts regarding their gender, they should have a willing and stable support group to help them figure it all out. It's okay for an adult to mess up their own lives in any way they see fit. Well, whether I agree with that assessment or not, we are doing a great job messing many lives up today for sure, every which way. Chris Beck said, everything that happened to me destroyed my life. He said, I destroyed my life. That's how he described it. And he is not alone. And I 
gender identification is only one way that we are doing it. In this case, all in the, all in the name of love or identity. There's something, there's something going on in Oregon. There's actually a lot going on in Oregon. But uh, there's, there's a particular phenomenon called Fur-mageddon. Fur-mageddon, where huge stands of fir trees are dying due to climate change. And I'll come back to that in a moment. The point is everywhere we turn, and, and this is outside our own lives, unfortunately, maybe oftentimes, many times, even in our own lives, everywhere we turn, we seem a little bit messed up. A friend shared with me this week that he's beginning to believe the whole system is, speaking of this welfare system, or, or all of the systems that, uh, that govern us, the whole system is, uh, is broken. It's a mess. It's messed up. And when you consider the fact that Satan is the prince of the air of this world, these systems are all under his control. No wonder the world is messed up. Our families, our lives, our systems, the world is messed up. And I propose to you today that it is messed up because of sin. Now today is about peace. So don't check out too soon. But before we can get to that part of the message... Before we can get there, we got to take a look at how we got into this mess. The world is a mess because of sin. And this causes a lot of problems, but I want to address three in particular this morning. Number one, clouded thinking or darkness of the mind. This is a result of sin in the world. Leads to clouded thinking or darkness of the mind. Jesus came in the world to bring us light. He is the light of the world. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 say this very thing. In him was life. In Jesus is life. You're looking for life today. You're looking to improve your life. You're looking for answers to life. They're in Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In Jesus is life. I hope you've found that to be true. If not, he is available even right now. That's why he came into the world, to give you life, to give me life. Everything that you are searching for can be found in Christ. Amen. But we don't understand that. We don't understand that. The world doesn't understand that because our, our minds have been darkened. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they, men, did, although they knew God, it's available for us to know God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. When we're presented with the truth like we are hearing right now from this scripture, but we reject it, our hearts and our minds become darkened. We cannot think clearly. We don't make good decisions. And the reason we reject it, back to John, this time John chapter 3, 19. Here, this is the verdict. Light has come in the world. But men loved darkness 
instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I told you my story. I went into a friend's house a number of years ago to get some clothes for him when he'd been admitted to the hospital. He'd given me the key, and I went to his house, and when I went inside and I turned the light on, you could just see bugs all over the floor scurrying into the darkness. They'd apparently been having a party in the dark. They did not like the light shining on their, on their party. We do the same thing. Mankind does the same thing. We run from God. We run from the message. We run from the messenger because we, were, we are afraid that we will have to give up the behavior that we love because man naturally loves darkness. We like to keep it hidden where nobody can see it. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks to this darkness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. The world's thinking is futile. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And over to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus himself speaks of that darkness in the heart. Ephesians, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great is that darkness? Some of us perhaps are feeling and experiencing that darkness even right now. Most of us have been in that dark place at one time or another where our eyes were bad. We did not see things clearly. We did not see things through God's lens. We did not see things as they are, especially due to our spiritual condition at the time. The world is a mess because of sin, because man loves darkness, and our thinking has become futile, and we prefer darkness. Number two, the world is a mess because of sin. Number two, man worships the creature. Man worships the creature. Over in Revelation chapter 13, I think we have a picture of where we, of where the world is headed. How soon, I do not know, but I believe it's headed there. And at the same time, we're getting ready to do a building that I hope if the Lord doesn't return, will last for many years. Just like the one that, we, that burned down, it lasted over 100 years, or right at 100 years. So, I don't know, is the Lord coming today? Could be. Is he coming this week, this year? We will, we will plan and work as if he's going to be a while, but we will live as if he's going to return today. 
But at the end, in Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse... Revelation chapter 13, starting with verse 3, it's talking about the Antichrist. And it says, One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and they asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? And it goes on, the beast was given a mouth to blaspheme, and on and on. Man is looking, man is made to, to worship. We're created with this bent and this need to worship something or someone. At this point in time, it will be the Antichrist. Man worships the creature, the beast, or the creation. Because we love darkness, because mankind loves darkness. We like to do things our own way. And our, and our mind has been clouded. And we live in darkness. Last week, as believers, we don't. But as a world without Christ, we do. Last week, I was encouraging us to, uh, to consider the admonition that we are... Uh, we looked at the definition of love, and part of it is that love is patient. We talked about that. We talked about the fact that love is kind, and I encouraged you to, put, to, to go out and try to do some random acts of kindness this week, to look for ways to be kind, to be a more kind person. I heard early in the week that Herb Faust had taken me seriously and literally at that point, and uh, he didn't know if he was going to make it through the rest of the week with enough money to finish out the week. In other words, he was trying to be kind, and in his kindness, he wound up helping this person, then helping that person, and pretty soon he was running out of money to help people and be kind. And I forgot to warn you last week that that can happen, and that we have to be very careful, and that we have to have boundaries. I talked to you a little bit about boundaries, but when it comes to being kind, and, and loving, okay, we, we only have so much money, and maybe there's other ways to be kind other than to pay people's way. And I learned this lesson a lot of years ago. I picked up a hitchhiker, his name was Gary, over in Ontario, and uh, I had a warehouse across the tracks over here at the time, and I had a little, uh, it wasn't really an apartment, but there was a place I could put him up, and uh, come to find out, you know, he's pretty much of an alcoholic, but he was pretty much willing to take everything that I would give him. And uh, pretty soon I got, him a, I got him a bus ticket to go back to Portland because I was running out of money any longer. So if we, if we worship the, cre the Creator, if we worship God, then it's, it's our responsibility to serve and to find ways to serve. But if we do not worship the Creator... We're going to wind up worshiping either the creature or the creation. And we're not really going to be serving anybody but ourselves at that point. In Genesis chapter 3, when Eve was in the garden and she was taking a look at the tree and, and, and Adam was with her. And she looked at the tree that she was not supposed to eat from. And the devil comes and he says, well, are you really not supposed to eat from any tree in the garden? 
Well, God hadn't said that. But that's how the devil presented it. He, he, the truth is not in him. And so they have this little exchange, and then, uh, and then uh, Eve said, if we do eat of it, we'll die. And uh, the devil said, you won't die. You're going to become like God. You're going to know the difference between good and bad. You're going to become like God. And that's all Eve had to hear. You'll be like God. That sealed the deal. Who wouldn't like to be God? Who wouldn't like to be God even for a day? Our problem is we worship stuff. We become obsessed. We become addicted with and to things. One of the definitions of worship is extravagant respect or admiration or devotion to an object of esteem. When we turn from the worship of God, there are two objects of worship that especially come forward. Number one is the body. The body. I'm God. Eve was going to become God. She was going to be God of her world. It's my body. It's my body. Really? When did you make it? When did you make it? When did you knit it together? Or did you just find yourself in it one day? And if it's yours, why would you abuse it? I am God. This is my body. I want to be like God. I want to do what I want with my body. A false prophet one day said, as man is, God once was. As God is, man can become. You are not God. God was not like us. God is eternal. He is spirit. Jesus Christ took a body to come and not only show us the way, but to offer it as a sacrifice. But we are not God. We are not God. And if you were God, if you really were God, and if it was your body, why would you allow it to die? So first of all, we worship the creature. Second of all, we worship the creation. Okay, maybe we can't save our bodies. Now, I'm not in favor of destroying the planet or the earth, but I also do not think, without God's intervention and help and will, that we can save the planet. Millions and millions, as I said, of fir trees all over the once beautiful state of Oregon are dying. And I do not believe it is because we have 120 more parts of CO2 per million parts that are in the atmosphere, million parts of oxygen and nitrogen. I do not believe that is what has caused those fir trees to die. I went out and... Uh, looked up in the atmosphere, and when I do, uh, some days I see some smog and I see some results of, uh, of pollution and smoke, but generally I do not see the effects of a greenhouse when I look up. I went out on Thursday and took a look up into the atmosphere and it was clear. And it was much like today, it was very clear, and I did not feel much heat being trapped in the atmosphere at that time. And then at night I went out, looked up in that same atmosphere, and uh, I, I think it's 
trapezia, which is the furthest planet that we can see with our natural eye without the help of, of a telescope, 4,000 light years away. It's 100,000 times brighter than our sun. And I can see all the way through that atmosphere to there. Now, this is my whole point, and I hope it's, I hope it's all been very confusing. But we're not going to solve anything on our own. All the systems are messed up. All the systems are messed up. Our lives are messed up. And we're going to solve the environmental issues that we have caused. Here's my point. Over in Psalm 33, 16 to 19. Psalm 33, 16 to 19. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. And then to hook that up with James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man just like us, just like us, all of us men and women, just like Elijah. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And the reason I bring this part in it is because the problem with the fir trees apparently is too much drought in Oregon. When did Oregon last repent and pray and seek God? I haven't heard of that. Maybe a few individuals, but I haven't heard of a large scale turning yet. Elijah was a man just like us. And, and I will tell you, when, when, the, when the mountains aren't getting very much snow or precipitation, I start praying because I depend on that. We depend on that down here in the valley. Elijah prayed for it and it rained. And he's just like us. He prayed that it would not rain. He prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. We're not going to solve our problem. We're not going to get out of the mess we're in on our own, on our own understanding or reasoning or all the trying or all the money or all of the whatever unless God is in the middle of it. In fact, Psalm 127.1 said, unless the Lord builds a house. And I, I heard Dan in the early service, Dan Cook, say how fast we were going to get the church built. That is scary. I wish you wouldn't write checks like that. that uh, I don't know how fast we'll get it built, but Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early, you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. You want to sleep, you want to eat, you want to solve the mess that your life is in, you cannot do it without, without the Lord. 
Oregon, you have a drought problem, pray for it. You have a problem in your life, get the Lord involved. You can't solve it. Sure can't fix the planet, but the Lord surely can. But sin makes us do strange things. Number three, the wages of sin is death. Now, I'm afraid this is one area we've been working overtime. We've got a lot of wages coming. Some jobs are paying double and even triple and even, even federal wage scale. Even death. Now, that's a whole lot of mess. And we're worried about saving the planet or getting a majority in the House or the Senate or a candidate in the White House. Then things will be okay. No. The wages of sin is death. Now, we don't like to look at this, and we don't like to think about this, but so far, it, it's proven to be pretty true. Everybody dies. And we're staring, it's like we're staring death right in the face. Like being face to face with a grizzly bear, wondering if, uh, wondering where we left the shopping list. Not even, we're, we're worried about things in this world we should be, what does it mean the wages of sin is death? That's what I ought to be concerned with. We have a problem. People are dying all around us. That is undeniable. And we're worried about what kind of liquor to serve at the funeral. Tragic, tragic way of looking at things. What darkness, what utter darkness. And I've had those, I've done that. I've done funerals like that. A man loses his son, and, and we're worried about what kind of liquor we're going to serve there. The son who died from driving drunk in the first place. Do we realize what death is? Do we realize what that means? The wages of sin is death? There's an old rock song that says, I know there ain't no heaven, and I pray there ain't no hell. The only one who's ever been on the other side tells us that hell is real. There is a hell. And we sure know that death is real. If you believe anything about Jesus, what he taught us, then you know there is a hell that awaits mankind after death. And it is eternal. Now that is not, that is not pretty. When we talk about death, we're not just talking about physical death. We're talking about a thousand deaths or a thousand losses a day. Loss upon loss. Death means separation. Separation from family, from relationships, from loved ones, from finances, whatever. I was talking with a friend this week who's lost everything he had dreamed of, of ever having. He'd achieved the perfect job, the perfect relationship, the perfect family. And gave it all away and ran off with another woman. That's death. That's separation. The real death will follow. But there's more. That's only the first part of Romans 6.23. There's good news in that. There's good news. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God's gift is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why he came in the world. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why I get excited about Christmas. And as far as I'm concerned, one Christmas a year isn't enough. There should be, we're going to have two this year. We had our family Christmas yesterday. And there should be Christmas all the time because that is God's gift, a reminder of God's gift to us. God's gift is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? If not, you can receive him even right now. Been going through a journey with a friend. He suffered a great loss. And he's been asking why a lot. And I'm going to share with him soon. You've got to quit asking why. Because you're not going to get the answer you want when you ask why. But there's... Five other questions you can ask. Ask what? What do you want me to learn from this, Lord? How? How am I supposed to get through this? Where do you want me to go? When do you want me to do this? Who do you want me to touch and reach out to? Luke chapter 2 is a great story of Jesus being born and coming in the world. Sin is the problem that brought Jesus into the world. And Jesus brings peace. He brought peace with him. He is the Prince of Peace. He says, I'll give you peace like no other, unlike you can get any place else in the world. I remember when I first experienced that peace. But I also remember that because of sin, that peace was fleeting. Because, because I was too stubborn to do what the Lord wanted, too, too darkened to, to really see exactly how to follow Him. It was tough to stay in that sphere of peace. But the peace was constant. It was me that moved and changed. And today, it's probably one of the most special gifts of having a relationship with Jesus Christ that I enjoy. And I hope you enjoy it as well. Paul talks about it as the peace that passes understanding. Jesus said, yes, thank you, Jesus. I will give you peace unlike the world can give you peace. But if we're not experiencing peace this Christmas, it's probably because of some sin. Maybe some sin of doubt. Maybe a hidden, unconfessed sin. Or maybe you forgot that you really can't accomplish anything on your own. Or maybe you're just refusing to come out of sin. The world is a mess. Your life doesn't have to be that way. Christ came so that you might have peace. Peace like you've never known or experienced and it's right here right now let's pray yes father thank you for Brenda's thank you over here in the corner thank you father that you that it is real that you are real that the peace that you promised is real and can be experienced even right now father there are a lot of things that are holding us back today there's, there's some loss. 
there's been some loss in our lives and that's robbed us of our peace father there's been some there's some sin there's been some sin in our lives and that's robbing us of our peace lord there's some darkness father we ask that you would just break through and that now as we open up and we invite you in that you would give us your peace that passes understanding not peace like the world gives it is only momentary and is fleeting but peace that is real and is available to each one of us here today thank you that the gift of god is eternal life and thank you that part of that includes a peace unlike any other we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen